Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Good morning, everybody. I am so thankful to be here with you guys and to be talking again about the kingdom, the fact that Christ is king, what he expects from us as the church, and how the kingdom advances. If you were here last week, you'll remember that we were talking about Christ's expectations of the church, answering the question, at least in part, what does Jesus expect from us? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I find myself asking God, well, like, what do you want from me right now? Anybody? What's your will for my life? Young people, you ever ask that question? Older folks, you've retired and now you're like, okay, Jesus, now what? You lose your identity, maybe it was, you didn't realize it, but maybe it was attached to work a little bit, like, like happens, you know? And now you're like, now what? Or maybe you're in the throes of raising young children and, and you're like, God, why? He's like, you did it to yourself. When I'm in those seasons, I've told you all this before, but I'll, I'll, I'll look at Jesus and I'll just be like, you must really trust us that you've entrusted us with these kids, you know, even though it's difficult. Not that you guys are ever difficult, but, you know, it's not your fault. And so we looked at those questions in light of the sphere of authority of church because, you know, we've been teaching us through this Crisis King series about four realms of authority or spheres of authority. Number one being self, the second being church, the third being the family unit, and fourth being the civil life. And how these are domains or realms of authority, and we are focused inside of the church realm right now. Last week we asked that question, what does Jesus expect from us? Four things, you guys remember? Submission to Jesus' authority, a life lived at aiming, aimed at loving service toward others, a life aimed at being unified and fighting to maintain unity amongst one another, and finally, that we realize that Christianity is not just about you or me. It isn't just about me. Point at yourself. It's not about me. It's not about me. Right? You aren't just here to just get saved. You are now part of Christ's mission. And you are meant to be on mission with Jesus. And it is also your responsibility, and maybe you need to seek some advice about this. That's fine, but... It is your responsibility to seek out how he wants you to engage with his kingdom mission right now, where you are, in the stage of life where you are. I think one of the things we can do to help us in this is to realize that we are not in the place we are by our own decision-making alone. The older I get, the more I look back and realize God is sneakily in the details. Anybody? I look back and I'm like, whoa, how did he do that? I think of when I, when I was 18 years old, 
Had no idea I was going to end up in missions for 17 years straight. I was over at the prayer chapel here on this property, praying my brains out for two whole weeks, saying, God, tell me what to do. What do you want me to do? And, and I felt like he didn't answer me. He was waiting for me to choose. And so finally, at the end of about two weeks, going over there a few hours every day, I just, with a little tear in my eye, like a, I don't know if I was crying because I was sad or what, but I just said, all right, God, I'm going to do this missions thing. And immediately I heard him speak to me and say, well chosen, son. Expect to be in this at least five years because this is a part of your apprenticeship. But you know what was cool? I had such peace that I knew, at least I knew, the call toward obedience. I knew what it was. I knew what God wanted me to do. Maybe not every detail of it. I certainly didn't know how hard it would be, but I knew I was in the right spot and I was able to apply myself to that. And I believe God can do that for you as well. And here's what's crazy. When I was like 14 years old, someone had told me, one day you're going to be a pastor. I said, no, I'm not. Another person from youth group, you would make a great pastor. No, I will not. I even went so far as to make a vow and say, I will never be a pastor. But over the years, God began to work and heal my heart. And I think that's the goal for us as followers of Jesus is that we, if we're not tender toward the voice and instruction of the Lord, that we learn tenderness toward him, toward his voice, that, that willingness is there because it's all grace. It's the grace of God that gives you the power to get out of bed in the morning. It gets the grace of God that keeps you from killing your children, you know. It's the grace of God that gives you wisdom to know how to administer what he's put you in charge of. It is the grace of God. And so let's not pretend like it's all about us, but we still are able to, we can yield or not yield to the grace of God in our lives. Now, it's not about you. It's not just about being comfortable. It is about what, what God now wants to do through your life. Each of you, you as, a, as couples, families, your business, the initiative that you're a part of, God has things that he wants to unlock that need to come out of your life. Amen? There is a real certainty that we can have that if you are willing... God will use your life to make a difference, a kingdom eternal difference. Do you believe it? Man, I want you to get infused a little bit with Holy Spirit optimism that God is looking for you just to say, here I am. Here I am. That's really all you have to do. So, okay, the pastor thing, you're wondering if I was going to get back to that probably. 2019 rolls around. God spoke to us very clearly to my wife and I. It's time to transition out because God's going to open a door in the local church arena. So we'd been in missions arena forever. Felt like a long, long time. It was amazing. And now it's time to step out because God wants to open a door into the local church arena. And by this time, I had, I had renounced the vows of never being a pastor again. And I realized my gifts and I realized how God wanted to use me to love on his bride and to equip the bride with the word and to encourage people into God's mission. And so I was like, all right, God, whatever you want to do. In the fall of 2019, 
Jason called me, Pastor Jason called me, and he had already hired me and I was on staff and he said, hey, we're going to ordain you as a pastor. So we're going to have it in the chapel right over here. And I had this moment in October or whatever it was of 2019 when I got ordained as a pastor at age whatever I was when I got hired here, I don't even know, in the same exact spot, nearly in the same carpet square as when I surrendered to Jesus to serve him in missions. Isn't that kind of crazy? And so there's no way I could have orchestrated that. When I left my missions post, I had no idea Faith was even looking for somebody. And I just want to encourage you with that story that your job is just to walk with him. Be obedient. Be courageous when he's, when he's nudging you. Be courageous and step out and just say, use me, God. And not everybody's going to have a story that's like that crazy connection full circle, but oftentimes I hear of stories like that. It could take 40 years. God is really good at completing circuits in our lives and making sure that things that you go through, the good, the bad, the ugly, that it doesn't go to waste, but it's used for his glory. Not for our glory, for his glory. He is good at that stuff. All right, you know you're on a bunny trail when your iPad turns off. You guys laugh. It's always fun to be with you guys because you have a sense of humor, and that's good. So listen, you know, we're going to be talking about how the kingdom advances. And, and this, this message is focused on some of the ways that Jesus did ministry, right? I'm also going to give you a little bit of historical context. But we're ramping toward Mission Sunday next week, which I was kindly reminded that next week is not the 6th and 7th of October, Friday, Saturday, but it's, it's like the end of September still. So Bethmore comes the following weekend. But on the 1st of October, Pastor Jason's going to be bringing a word about global missions. And we are ramping toward uh, getting our pledges together for 2024 to fund our missions program so that we can continue to advance into some of the least reached areas of the world. And so... Get excited about that. Appreciate the claps over here. Get excited about that because God is inviting us to participate in taking the gospel where it has yet to go. Did you know that 42% of the world has no access to the gospel? Did you know that? Did you know that 42% that of the world's population could live their entire lives and never accidentally meet a Christian find a Bible, have a missionary share with them, or even lay eyes on a church building. Did you know that? That's kind of crazy. In fact, I didn't even know this till recently, but 70% of the church believes that everybody has heard the gospel. And 90% of the, of the church in America has never, ever shared their faith. So we need to do something about that. So that's why we're focusing on Christ's mission and advancing his kingdom and us being a part of that and playing a part of that. Now, not all of you need to go out and be missionaries, but at least half of y'all do, all right? So pay attention for that. But that's coming up on October 1st, next Sunday. We're also going to have a bunch of our mission partners in-house with booths. We've got a few people from overseas and a few of our local partners and one special partner in particular is Mission Arvada. So we've got them coming in. 
they're setting up a booth and we're actually, I'm asking you guys if you would bring used coats and sleeping bags and drop them off next Sunday. Say next Sunday, I'll bring a coat. I'll bring a sleeping bag. So if you've got one that you're just like, I kind of like that, but I don't know if I'm going to just donate it because it's getting towards the cold season. And our friends on a mission, Arvada, are ministering to around 70 people who struggle with homelessness every single day. And they have a clothes closet where they could come in and they, could, they can get things. They can purchase them to be able to use. And coats and sleeping bags are a big necessity right now. And, you know, Jesus said we'll always have the poor with us. And so we don't want to disparage people for why they are where they are or for being poor or for being homeless. We don't know their situation and we can ease their pain at least a little bit with, a, with kindness and the love of God. And Mission Arvada is really good at doing these things. And so if you guys would please help participate in this, it would be amazing. I'd love it if they'd have to take like two or three trips with their truck to get everything back to Mission Arvada next Sunday. So when you come, look for the Mission Arvada booth right at the brick wall at the main entrance doors. They'll be there. Meet them. Thank them for what they're doing and drop off a coat or a sleeping bag or both. Okay? Does that sound good? Awesome. So as we get into how the kingdom advances, I want to share with you guys three dominant views over the years. We'll call them theological perspectives, if you will, on the church's role, okay? Two of them, not so great. One of them is, I think, what we're supposed to be aiming at. But before we get into that, I'm just going to ask for the Holy Spirit to teach us because I'm, I'm anticipating that we're going to need a paradigm shift a little bit. And we can't just transform the way we think. We need the Holy Spirit to help us with that. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you didn't leave us alone, but you gave us the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you left us with your word, which instructs us and teaches us. And Holy Spirit, we open our hearts and minds to learn today. Change the way we think. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. The first dominant theological view is actually called the dominance theology. Dominance theology believes that we're the ones who know how to do anything, the only ones, and we know the truth. So let's get everyone else in line by whatever means necessary. You see, we are not actually called to go dominate other spheres of authority. We are not called to go take over government or called to go take over schools or called to go take over family. In fact, that would be an abuse of our authority. If I went around telling you exactly how you're supposed to lead your family, how you're supposed to discipline your kids, what kind of food you're supposed to eat, and just micromanaged you to death and took control, that would be an overstep of my authority as a pastor in your local church, right? Aren't you glad I don't do that? Because your kids would be eating Twinkies and corn dogs and stuff, right? And so, but the truth is, the church actually thought this way, that they were supposed to domineer others into submission to Christ. Um, we know that this started primarily in the fourth century when Constantine made Christianity the state religion of Rome. And you think like, wow, victory, yeah, except that Christianity started to intermingle and the faith intermingled with politics and then political people started using Christianity as a means for gain, power, control, and even abuse 
extortion, you name it, they were doing it. That doesn't sound very much like the will of God, does it? No, it doesn't. But this happened and this continued all the way up. You even look at the results of this theology, this type of thinking is what caused the Crusades to happen. They thought they were participating in a holy war, in God's war, murdering people because they wouldn't accept Jesus. That doesn't exactly, I'm glad we don't do that on the street corners of Denver anymore. I mean, you guys understand this isn't how, this isn't God's way or God's heart at all. Jesus showed us a totally different kind of way, which we're going to get into today. So it's important that we understand we are not meant to dominate other spheres of authority. The second major theological view came about in the 1800s. It can actually be pinpointed to a one guy who wrote prolifically about this idea. His name was John Darby. And it's called escapism theology. That we're actually designed and created to just simply get saved and then get out of here as soon as the rapture can happen. This theology influenced the American church and still does to this day. So you guys know when, when Pastor Jason and I are talking to you and we're sharing like, hey, we're not just meant to, to sit here and just wait to just be taken out of here when the rapture happens. That's not what we're called to. We are called to establish his kingdom here. We are called to work alongside of others and love them toward the Father, right? We are called to steward what God has put in our midst. And escapism theology teaches the exact opposite. It teaches us get saved, hang out in church with your, with your crew, and just wait until Jesus comes back and hope you don't get, you know, into a pickle and lose your salvation in the meantime. Do you guys see what that does, actually? It propagates fear, and the people use fear as a mechanism for control. I don't know about you, but I don't want to propagate that kind of theology. Do you? Do you want to do that? The third, and what I believe is a, a more correct theological view on the purpose of the church, is an, what I'll call an engagement theology. This believes that we are commissioned, like Christ, to be ministers of reconciliation. That's biblical. Because God in Christ is reconciling all things, all people, to himself. Putting things back the way that they were meant to be. So we, like Christ, are, we're not just saved. Now we get to participate with Christ in bringing healing to the nations. We're establishers of his kingdom. We are bringing about righteous justice in every realm of authority where we can serve and influence. And we are, like Christ, meant to be motivated by love. This theological view of the purpose of the kingdom originated with Jesus. So let's just say it's trustworthy. Amen? Now, something else I want to bring to your attention, we only have 10 minutes left, just kidding, is this, that there, have, there has been and is occurring in the church a shift of how we do church. And what I mean by how we do church is this gathering we're a part of on a weekly basis. 
For a few decades, it was very popular to do what is called an attractional model, where you just do something awesome and people show up and then they get saved. That doesn't work anymore. And the thing with the attraction model is it can be easier because you just you put the production on and you hope people buy tickets to come to the show, right? And I'm not knocking on, you know, doing music and, and doing things well, and doing things with excellence because that honors the Lord. But that isn't the way we reach our city. You can't reach people with the gospel if the gospel stays in the four walls of this church building. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you say, well, it goes out on social media. No, no. This gathering is meant for the equipping of the body, okay? The attractional model, it points people toward a relationship with the institution or the organization that they are in. Not always, but often. To become dependent on the organization itself for what they need, the food. How often have you heard someone who's left a church and they say, well, I just don't get fed there? Or, you know, it's just not my style. It's fine, you can have a preference, but it's also one of those things where over 10 years I've seen some people I know who will remain nameless, they go to one church for a couple years, eh, it's just they find something to complain about, so they move to another church, eh, they move to another church, eh. All the while, 10 years later, they're not connected to any community. And maybe they're still 20 years old in their emotional and spiritual maturity because they haven't walked and been discipled by anybody. You follow what I'm saying? And so... That attractional model, the, the, I think the pitfall of that is that whatever we do to attract people, we're going to have to continue doing or exceed to keep people. And I believe that there's a better model which is rolling out. So instead of producing consumers who must be satisfied with the second model, which is the intentional model or the relational model, we can actually we can see the fruit of people who are attentive to God's heart and are growing and maturing in their response to God and the world. The intentional model is a little slower, but it produces multiplication because it empowers you to do the work of kingdom development and kingdom expansion. Not just the institution. Because let me ask you this, are institutions good at caring for people? No. Institutions generally are not great at caring for people. Institutions or organizations are meant to hold up the work that people are doing. Likewise, the gospel doesn't spread effectively just through in an in institution and an in institution's efforts. That's like when, what I mean by that is that you would maybe have a lost friend and instead of sharing Christ with them, you would try to just get them to come to church so that one of us can lead them to Jesus. Or they can come to Christ through the message, which can happen. But how much more effectively is it for them to encounter the love of God through you than just through an organization? Do you guys hear what I'm saying? And so it is our responsibility collectively to love the people who God puts in our, in our arena, in our sphere of life, to influence them toward Christ. And it's intentional. Here's what's the cool thing as well. This intentional model, it points people toward a relationship with Jesus through the people they're in relationship with, not just to an organization. Because we're not just trying to get membership to our club. 
We are wanting to introduce people to their father and let them join the family. Amen? So the question remains, how does the kingdom advance? I'm really glad you asked. (laughs) It's like, whose job is it anyway to reach the lost? Whose job is it to go in and influence the schools and try to eradicate this craziness that's going on with curriculum and teaching that there's 37 genders when we know there's two, right? Whose job is it to go and influence or be like, uh, question, why are we teaching this? Where did this come from? Who put this forward and what is the motive for real? Why are we teaching stuff like this to someone who's seven years old, right? Okay, if that doesn't tick you off, I don't know what will, but see, someone, the institution's not going to go over there and take over the school. We provide schooling here, but we can't influence all of Jeffco Public Schools, we, but you can, right? Whose job is it? Whose job is it to help write legislation that is going to protect the innocent lives of the unborn who risk being murdered, right, of no fault of their own? Who? Who will do that? Who will stand up for the poor, the marginalized, the widow? Who will stand up and say, city of Arvada, we're here to help serve, right? Whose job is that? Is it just the institution or is it the church's job? I would propose, friends, that it is all of our jobs, And I will show you in the next little bit here how the church as the institution and the church, the people, can work together to see Christ's kingdom advance. I believe that the primary way that the kingdom advances is through influence. If you look at what Jesus did, he influenced people toward God the Father through his serving and through his loving and through his Uh, wisdom sharing, and through his healing of others, he influenced people toward God. And influence is this. It is the power which results in change. Think about that. If you think about the influence of the wind on something, if it's really strong like a tornado, it can shred oaks in seconds. It's astonishing the power that the wind... That is wind having an influence on physical objects. You also have an influence on your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your friends, your boss. You have influence that you are exercising and can exercise for the kingdom. See, Matthew 16, 9 says this. Jesus says to his disciples, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus has given us keys. Keys signify authority. If you have keys to this building to get in, you have a level of authority over this place. God has given you keys which signify authority. Say, I have authority. Well, not like you don't mean it. Say it like you mean it. I have authority right? We have authority to make changes. And this is why we don't have to dominate. We actually have the authority to step into an arena and influence. Not because we're we're hot shots, but because Christ is. And he delegated authority to you. Here's the cool thing about spiritual influence. 
the more time you spend drawing near to the heart of God and being faithful where he's put you, he is literally going to delegate more authority to you. Have you ever met those people that when they pray, you're just like, whoa, something just shifted. You, you know what I'm talking about? That's not just because they have a cool personality. They have spiritual authority, which moves things in the unseen realm. Friends, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We are moving things in the unseen realm. If you don't think that Satan has a strategy to absolutely obliterate family, starting with little kids, then wake up. He is on the prowl, and he is attempting to destroy the very thing that God loves, which is humanity. And, but we have the authority to step in the way and say, no, not here, not today. You have authority. And Jesus has the authority to say that because all authority was given to him. Matthew 28, 18, he's like, I've got all the authority. So now I can give the authority to anybody who I please. So how do you gain influence? And I'm going to give you three ways that you can gain influence to be able to serve in our community and see his kingdom advance. Through prayer, through being equipped, and through serving. So I want to encourage you to pray like this. There's a few, few items for how we can pray. Number one is to pray for your city. Matthew 6 says this. Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. And you know this. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Holy is your character. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come, have your way. Establish your kingdom way here. Let your will be being done here on earth, just like it is where you reside in heaven, God the Father. I tell you what, it's easy to complain about your city. Well, they don't fix the potholes and the education system stinks. and uh, Or if you're a person of character and consequence, you actually start to say, okay, God, what's your strategy? What's your heart? How do you want me to be engaged in helping in this arena? Because complaining doesn't help. Right? We don't, we don't like it when people complain to us. I mean, I, I don't. But we, it's like we, we look at our city like it's some cold object that just should have rocks thrown at it. And we don't consider the fact that there are people who are serving in roles who just simply may not know the heart of God yet about how to lead in this arena. Or maybe instead of having their inbox full of complaints every day, maybe they need someone like you to come alongside them and say, hey, I've got a heart for my city. How can I serve you? What do you need done? What's, what is the thorn in your flesh, mayor's office? How can we come and ease this and serve? How can we bring manpower and resources and wisdom and skill to this arena? If Here's the truth, and Dave Powers has said this a few times. You cannot change something that you do not love. When we pray for our city, we get the heart of God for our city and the people who live here. You see, there was a, there was a time when I was in, we'll just say in a, in a less mature year of my life, and there was a particular student who I was studying alongside of 
who irritated me like crazy. And I, I was in a group of like 45 students, so I'd move to the other side of the room for class, and this student would somehow migrate over towards my table. And I was so annoyed, and I would complain to my roommates, this person, blah, 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 blah. And I would just, one day, though, I felt God challenge me to pray for this person. I was like, no. You pray for him. <laughs> I ain't gonna bother with that. I feel like God said, no, pray, pray. So I started to pray, like, God, change this person's laugh and change their body odor, please, Lord. Change their, their twitching that's rattling the table and spilling my coffee, Lord, please. And I feel like the Lord immediately corrected that and said, no, pray for this person like you would want someone to pray for you. And I was like, Lord, I'm not that mature yet. Come back in a year. <laughs> End of the story, after about 30 days or so of praying for this person every day, starting with literally like a five-second prayer, God bless The next day, it was like, show yourself to them. The next day, it was like, God, help them to hear your voice. And bless them too. God, I really want to say something negative, but I'm going to bless them instead. So little by little, my heart started to tenderize. And before I knew it, after about a month, I, I realized I was not annoyed by this person anymore. And now they, they were never my best friend, okay? So, but I no longer had this animosity in my heart towards them. But you know what's crazy is they didn't change. They hadn't changed yet. But my outlook and my, my perspective of them did change. And I started to have a level of compassion and just beyond compassion, maybe some understanding toward this person that gave me the ability to love them a little bit more like Christ. Now, I have not always passed that test. But that was probably the earliest time I can remember when how I thought literally changed. And then I was able to be in a position of humility to receive God's heart for another person. I think God wants us to pray for our city like that. Pray for our city leaders. Pray for our city. Pray for our school system. Pray and get God's heart before going in and trying to affect change. I mean, check out, I mean, this is just kind of cool. From Jeremiah chapter 29, God speaks through Jeremiah to the people who are in captivity in Babylonia and basically says, yo, hey, seek out the welfare of your captives. I'd be like, you mean seek out ways to betray them or trick them or get free or escape? No, God said, seek the welfare of the city. He said, because as you serve your city where you're in exile and you pray to the Lord on their behalf, you'll actually find your welfare in their welfare. You know how people often say that the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom? Maybe you feel like you're in captivity here in the school system or in this city. Maybe God hasn't taken you out of here yet because there's some prayers you need to pray. There's some change you need to affect. There's some influence you need to flex on behalf of others. Because remember, Christianity is not about you. And it's not about me. It's about Jesus and his kingdom. 
The second way we can pray is to pray for the Holy Spirit's power to be made manifest in us. Because, guys, you can't do any of this without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit contains all the power. See, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told his disciples, he said, look, don't leave Jerusalem until you have received power. Because you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he said to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Keep in mind, he's talking to his disciples who had walked with him for three whole years and had seen him in his resurrected form. He's telling them, even them, they shouldn't just go out and try to do what they were doing before. They need to wait for and receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that word power is the word dunamis, which means explosive power. I don't know if you've ever tried to dig a post hole in Colorado. You hit rocks and you hit clay. And you, when you have rocks in clay, it's basically cement. It's like old-fashioned cement. Trying to do ministry in our city without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is like trying to dig in the mountains of Colorado without dynamite. It's almost futile. I'm not saying you can't try without the Holy Spirit's power, but you need the Holy Spirit's power if you were going to break through. We need a breakthrough in our city. And the way we break through is with power. Not dominance, spiritual power. And spiritual power comes from the Spirit, not from us. So when you wake up in the morning and you're getting ready to put your shoes on and go out to war, don't forget to say, let your power flow. Holy Spirit, let your power flow. I'm going to need it because I've got an ugly boss or I've got a crazy conversation or I've got the mob after me over here. Let your power flow. It doesn't mean that you'll be protected from harm, because you will suffer harm. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. But I'll tell you what, with the Holy Spirit's power in and flowing through us, you can endure that stuff. And we can do exactly what God has called us to do. Guys, the city's waiting for you to show up and do what God wants to do through you. The final point under prayer is this, to pray for God's strategy. You know, when I was, uh, again, in my younger, less mature years, oftentimes I would get an idea and just run after them. And if you ask Pastor Jim, I'm still there, okay? So I just want to confess to you that I'm not always great at this part of being like, okay, God, how, when, with who? Usually I'm like, that's a great idea. I haven't lost it in 15 minutes, so it must be the Lord. <laughs> Let's go, right? But I'm guilty sometimes of not stopping and slowing down and saying, okay, God, I have this idea. I think it's from you. Is this from you? How do you want me to do this? Who do you want me to recruit? 
Do you follow what I'm saying? Asking for God's strategy. If he's leading you, he's prompting you towards something regarding the schools, well, guess what? You can't just go walk onto a school campus and start doing whatever ministry God's told you to do. There's, there has to be a strategy about how you're going to do that. You're going to have to make connections. You're going to have to make relationships with people and get permission to go into a school. Praise God, that's the case, that we have to have a little bit of protection around our schools. But you can't just go chase after that. You follow what I'm saying? Getting his strategy is an important part of addressing our society and serving our city. James chapter 1 verse 5 says that if you need wisdom, just ask. God will give it to you generously. In fact, James even goes on to say, God's not going to rebuke you for asking for wisdom. So ask for it. If you don't have it, ask. You will receive it. The second point here is in how the kingdom advances is through us being equipped. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go see a doctor who's never been to school. But maybe they put a lot of band-aids on people in Boy Scouts or something. No thank you. Don't be tricked into thinking that you can just march off into whatever God's calling you to do without the proper equipping. Part of the strategy he may release to you is equipping that you need. A friend of ours was in missions with us for a while and she felt called to go into the nations as a nurse. But she wasn't a nurse yet, so you knew what, know what she had to do? Go become a nurse. Similar with you, ask God for that strategy and if equipping is part of it, go get equipped. I'll tell you this as well, it's not just good enough to have the skills, you also need to be looking at how to grow spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically as you step out into these arenas. Some of us are still immature emotionally. And if we're emotionally immature, it's very difficult, if not impossible, for our spirituality to grow past that. We just can't mature past the lid of our emotional maturity. But God wants you to be equipped, and you're going to be equipped spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically through the church and through the tools that God has put in our society for us. Ephesians chapter 11 says this, and this gives us a hint toward answering the question of whose job is it to reach the lost? Now, it's both. Because it says here, Paul's speaking to the Ephesians, and he says, now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. If you ever want to complain about your pastors, you can say, no, but they're a gift from God. He gave them, okay. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work and build up the church, the body of Jesus. Did you catch that? The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are called to do a job, and that is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. It's both of us working together to see the lost come to know Christ and to see those disciples made. It's our job primarily to equip you to do that work. This will continue, Paul says, until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of the Son, of God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord 
measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, and we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. And it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We need to pray for this, the strategy. How do you want me to be equipped? And then I want to encourage you, get into, into arenas where you can grow and develop your skills and grow emotionally, grow spiritually, grow deep, gain authority and step out there. Now here's the thing, you're going to make mistakes. We all are going to make mistakes in our efforts to build and expand God's kingdom. The goal here isn't to avoid mistake making. The goal here is to attempt to obey Jesus the best you know how, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so if that means that you need to step out in a way and you're unsure, that's okay. I want to encourage you, go make mistakes. Go try things out. Seek advice if you need it. Grow in your skills, but don't let the lack of having arrived some, to some metaphorical place of perfection stop you from stepping out and partnering with Jesus. Like, I don't know if you've read the Bible, but there's like a lot of, let's put it this way, dirt bags that God used to advance his kingdom. <laughs> He's not waiting for perfection from you. He already sees you as perfect. He's not waiting for you to be flawless in your performance for three weeks before you can step out. He is calling you into action now. And our city needs you to show up. It needs the church to show up. The third and final point here is that we serve. That's one of the ways the kingdom will advance. See, we don't dominate. We serve and we build influence through serving. Jesus said this in Mark 10. He said, even the son of man didn't come here to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. And I want to encourage you to look at Jesus' model. You know, he came down, we, we look at this example in John of where he washed the disciples' feet, for instance. He says that he knew that the Father had given him all things. He knew who he was. He knew why he was there. And that empowered him to be able to go low and serve. Jesus left his privileged place, it says in, in Philippians chapter 2. He stepped into our world, our arena, in John chapter 1. He, he stepped into religious environments and corrected people who prioritize the exterior over the interior, obsessing over something God doesn't even bother to measure. He corrected them and taught them. He stepped in and he spent time with the broken. And I'll tell you what, you know you have a religious spirit or a religious mentality that needs to be snapped off if, if when I say 
the lost aren't necessarily going to show up here on a Sunday morning. They actually need you to show up where they are. And they might be at the bars partying and getting drunk. They might be hanging out who knows where, doing who knows what. And if you think, well, I can't go there, I want to remind you that actually you can because you follow the example of Christ. Christ didn't just hang out in the synagogues all day long. Imagine how effective his ministry would have been if he had just only been in the, in the synagogues exclusively. Friends, God's calling us to be the church out there leavening the dough. And he has a call for you to be out there and be leavened in the dough. To be out there where you're alongside of people who maybe aren't like you, who are different than you in our own city. And as I was praying for us yesterday, I, I felt the Lord lead me to Luke chapter 15. And I'm gonna read it because it's just, it's a story that, that touches my heart. And it says this, by this time, a lot of men and women of questionable reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intense, intently. Listen to that. Men and women of questionable reputation. That's a very kind way of saying the sinners, the bad people of society. The Pharisees, remember, they were a group of teachers of the law, ones who obsessed over things that God doesn't really care to measure. They weren't pleased, not pleased at all. This is the message. They growled. He takes in sinners and eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. And their grumbling triggered this story from Jesus. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? And when found, you can be sure that you would put it across your shoulders, rejoicing. And when you got home, call in your friends and neighbors saying, celebrate with me, I've found my lost sheep. There is, count on it, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner's rescue, one sinner's rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Jesus went after the one. Jesus went after the one again and again and again. Can I give you one more story? Mark chapter 10. It's another example of Jesus stopping for the one. And it said, they spent time in Jericho and as Jesus was leaving town, trailed by his disciples and a parade of people, a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting along the road. And when he heard that Jesus the Nazarene was passing by, he began to cry out, Son of David, Jesus, mercy, have mercy on me. Many tried to hush him up, but he yelled all the louder, Son of David, mercy, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped in his tracks. Call him over, he said. They called him, hey, it's your lucky day. Hear the snark in their voice. Get up, he's calling you to come. The very one they were hushing and saying, you don't deserve to have any attention from Jesus. We'll be the judge of that. Jesus says, call him over here. So even when Jesus instructs them to bring him, they're like, get up, you dirtbag. 
It's time to go. Jesus wants to talk to you. That's the Mark Davies version. So throwing off his coat, he was on his feet at once and came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what can I do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. On your way, Jesus said, your faith has saved and healed you. And in that very instant, he recovered his sight and followed Jesus down the road. I want to ask you this question as we close. When do you overlook the blind Bartimaeus in your life? When do you overlook the young person who's confused and just needs someone like you to say, how can I serve you? When do we walk right past people and think in our minds, they're not worthy of five minutes of my time? And why do we think like that? I would propose that God wants to give us a revelation of his goodness in our lives. I don't want you going and, and, and reaching out to people because you know you should. I want to encourage you that the gospel is good news. And as my friend Jason says, if, if you don't share the gospel, maybe it's because it's not good news to you. And maybe you need a reminder of how good the love of the Father is that he would send his son to set us free. And we didn't do anything to earn it. If, you know, the Bible clearly states that coming to know Christ and being cleansed is a total work of grace by faith. It had nothing to do with your ability to save yourself. God did it all. He did all the work. And we can't take credit for it. So when someone doesn't yet know the grace of God, they don't know the Father is revealed in Jesus, why do we take a stance of judgment and be like, oh, I can't believe X, Y, Z? I, I would propose that we need a radical shift in our thinking when we encounter people who don't know Christ yet. And let us not be surprised when the world acts like the world or when the world acts like people who don't know the truth. They need to encounter the truth and they're going to encounter it in you. So as you go out today, I want to ask you to pray to get God's heart. I want you to ask God how you need to be strategically equipped with his strategy and equipping. I want you to go out there and look for opportunities to serve for his glory and for his name. And I want you, like Jesus, to think about how you can stop for the one. There are many one singular individuals who need an encounter with Jesus today in our city and that can happen through you. So would you all join me in standing? We're going to close out with a time of worship. And Lord, we just want to invite you to work on and shape our hearts by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit to teach us and train us, but give us your heart, God. Give us your heart. Revive us and remind us of how good you are, God. We don't want to just stand around like the religious folks just casting judgment and shade at other people. We want to get your heart, God. Give us your heart. Give us your heart, Jesus.
imparted to us, burden us for the lost, burden us for the broken, burden us for the confused, burden us for the homeless, burden us for the widow and the poor and the orphan and the addict, God. Burden us for the arrogant people, God. Burden us and give us a spirit of humility to step in and to serve like Jesus served and to love like you love and to look for opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to speak the word of Christ to our city. God, give us greater levels of influence, God. Give us a burden to pray. Give us a burden to serve. Help us to prioritize and to set the things that don't matter aside, to step into what matters, God. We love you, Jesus. We ask you to use us, empower us, teach us, and take us to a new place of thinking in regard to how you wanna use us in this city. We love you and we thank you I just feel like the Lord's saying, even for those of you who've tried and you've said, but it didn't work. I think the Lord is saying, keep trying. Keep stepping out with me. Step in with me. And if you're afraid of what people are gonna say about you, I just wanna ask you, consider God's opinion. Consider God's opinion before you consider that person's opinion. I think that when we're motivated by, by looking for ways to fulfill the desire of God's heart, the opinion of man becomes less and less and less. And church, this is who God is calling us to be. It's people who gather to celebrate what God's done, to be equipped, to be filled up, and then to go out and be the church, to be the body of Jesus everywhere we go with everyone we meet, unashamed, and emboldened with the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, use us. Take us there, God. We can't get there ourselves, so take us there, God. In Jesus' mighty name. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.